In this episode, I speak with creator and founder of Curios, Michelle Antoine. Key points addressed were Michelle's academic and professional history, dealing in various forms of mass-scale communication and public discourse that led her to develop Curios, which is a consultancy that aims to bring curiosity, bravery, and intentionality to uncomfortable conversations on a public scale. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Michelle Antoine. My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. I am your host Patricia and today I'm so excited to be sitting down with Michelle Antoine. Michelle is the creator and founder of Curios. Uh, and you can find out more online on her website about herself, the company and everything that we talk about today at www.curiosbynature.com. That is C-U-R-I-O-S by B-Y-N-A-T-U-R-E.com. Welcome Michelle. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you as well. Um, for everyone listening who might be new to our podcast, I will first read a quick bio on Michelle um, to give you a little bit of a background before I start peppering her with questions. However, <laughs> I will give you a quick roadmap for today's podcast. We'll first look at unpacking Michelle's academic background and personal story leading to the founding of Curios. And then we'll start unpacking Curios. We'll first get into the logistics, the founders funding and financials, uh, the impetus for inception. Then we'll turn to the business model, the growth and trends, um, all of those particulars. Then we'll get into some of the ethos as to how she defines her terms in the um, some of the skills and attributes that she offers her clients. We'll then turn our efforts towards looking at any goals that Michelle has for Curios as well as herself for the next one to three years. This conversation has changed a lot for people with the recent COVID-19 pandemic that set in upon us. And then we'll wrap everything up with talking about advice that Michelle may have for those of you who are looking to get involved in um, what she's doing or perhaps uh, have a, a, a conversation with her about her work and um, emulate some of her success. So a quick bio as promised on Michelle. Um, Michelle Antoine is working to take the training wheels off talk. She's a master facilitator, educator, leader, and creative focused on equipping the community with interpersonal tools to have conversations that matter. Michelle is the creator and founder of Curios, a consultancy aiming to curate experiences that foster curiosity, bravery, and intentionality through leadership, communication, consulting, workshops, and training and retreats. So Michelle, that's wonderful. I'm excited to kind of unpack it. Um, I like Curios. I liked researching it online. But before we get to that, I'm hoping you can kind of draw a narrative of your own design about your academic and personal story that led you to the founding and creating of Curios? Wow, sure, that's a big question. Um, so I guess in terms of my background, you know, I was born in Montreal, raised to Haitian parents. 
Um, I moved to Miami when I was fairly young um, and moved back and forth uh, for a while. So just even from then, I think I had an understanding of, you know, my my perspective and my lens had, had to shift uh, pretty much every couple of months, uh, depending on obviously being uh, within my family dynamic or in school or um, with my friends and depending on what country I was in. So I definitely think that kind of formed a little bit of my mindset um, early on. I'm always a very curious person, hence the name. Um, and my educational background, you know, um, is I essentially went to undergrad in at Florida Atlantic University uh, and got pursued dual uh, degrees in intercultural communication and international business. At the time, I really just wanted something that was broad enough for me to play with. Um, my dream was always to be a teacher, but um, in a Haitian household especially, and a lot of immigrants I assume can um, relate to this, but, you know, a teacher, they were like, but you're not going to make any money. <laughs> like, what, what are you going to do with that? So um, I kind of switched it up and I was like, okay, well, I've always been interested in communication and what uh, communication means and how it differs in communication theory. Um, and, you know, I'll just tack on the business degree just for, you know, good measure so that I can hopefully, that gives me some range in terms of the things I can do. Um, I didn't end up going into either of those in, uh, instantly. I went into higher education. Um, one of my mentors at the time uh, suggested higher education because I was really super involved on campus and in kind of all the organizations and just one of those student leaders on campus. I was in every club organization you can think of. So he was like, you know, you can do this as a job. You can essentially help develop students and foster their co-curricular experiences. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I pursued uh, my first master's degree in higher ed administration. Um, so I worked at Florida um, International University, which is also where I got the degree, and then moved over here and worked in, uh, where I am in San Diego, at San Diego State University. Um, and then, you know, worked in higher ed for about seven years and learned a lot, loved working with students, loved developing trainings and workshops, and that's really where I got to dive into that and really kind of get comfortable into my role as a facilitator. Um, and then after about seven years, you know, I needed a shift. I needed a shift in environment. Um, I definitely still loved the student aspect of things, but you know, and I, what I'm learning is that every kind of organization, whether it's education, business, you know, consultancy, et cetera, they all have a certain level of politics. But at the time, I was just kind of like, I just need something else. Um, so I applied for a job ran very randomly on LinkedIn. Like I applied for, you know, 20 jobs. And I was just like, you know what, like something will stick. Um, it was like a summer, uh, gosh, 2017. Um, and I ended up landing a job at Robbins Research International, which is uh, Tony Robbins' research, ar research arm of his uh, event-based company. So, you know, he travels around the world, hosts on events, and I uh, was a creative content producer on that team for two and a half years. And then, um, gosh, this, this is recent, I switched over to doing curios, I guess, let me back up a second. So last July, uh, I decided, my partner and I decided to go on a three-month kind of hiatus. We were like, okay, we need a break. We need to, like, just light a fire in our creativity and our mindset. And we just felt things had gotten a bit routine and stagnant and just the way we were doing our, our lives and the way we were living. 
So um, I was really lucky that um, that company allowed me to make that transition. And Curios, the I, the name at least was ideated then um, because I knew I had started. I put on the retreat before that happened, and I started keynoting and doing a couple of speaking engagements. And I was trying to formulate what I was doing. And I was like, oh, well, for me, it's about curiosity. It's about kind of exploring. It's about sitting with the discomfort of uncomfortable feelings. So Curios felt right. Um, and yeah, I went, you know, full time into my consultancy and launching it in April. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a journey. <laughs> it kind of makes a lot of more sense now. I mean, it always makes sense when people found things in my book, but, um, the Tony Robbins and being on the research arm for a, you know, an engine like that, because a lot of the, um, the axiomatic principles that you've enveloped um, and that you speak about, at least on your website, and in regards to communication with uncomfortable conversations or unheard conversations, kind of speak to what I know of Tony Robbins' rhetoric. I am by no means a student. However, um, I, like everyone else, kind of garnered pieces of his um, rhetoric and dialogue. So a lot of that makes a lot more sense now, given what I know about Curios. So I want to unpack Curios now, and I, um, I first I want to get into some of the logistics. So founders, funding, and financials. Did you have co-founders? Did you take any funding, or was it bootstrapped? And um, also, what year was it launched? Yeah, so I mean, launched I guess officially in 2020. So again, I had put I put on I'd say two or three events last year, but was kind of doing it as a side hustle. Um, like a lot of people. So I was just kind of playing around and testing and didn't charge for the first event, just kind of wanted to see if people would come. And um, yeah, so officially 2020, but I would say unofficially 2019. Um, and uh, bootstrap for sure. Um, currently, I am looking at uh, funding opportunities, um, especially now during these times. Obviously, there's a lot of grants for small businesses and um, there's a lot of opportunities that I might explore to really uh, develop Curios like I want to. Uh, what was the third question? <laughs> uh, it was the third part of that. That was just funding, yeah, and launched. And if you had a co-founder. Oh, so no co-founder, just me for now. Um, I, did, I did work with two um, of my friends, close friends, um, in the healing and UX design spaces for the uh, first retreat that we put on last year. And um, hopefully I do that again and hopefully it kind of, uh, I switch it out, but Curios itself is just me. Excellent. So what was the, the impetus for Inception was, it, it sounds like it had been building and it matriculated during the sabbatical that you and your partner took where you were just looking for like a rejuvenation of your creativity? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think all of us, maybe not all of us, I'll speak for myself, but working a nine to five can get a bit stagnant. Um, and even though I was traveling a ton, um, because I was, again, just going all over the world to support uh, with these events, um, it didn't feel like mine. Um, it didn't feel like mine. It didn't feel like my, I was being, my, my creativity and my skill set was being used to its fullest capacity. At least I didn't feel that way. Um, you know, and of course, I'm sure there's a ton of things people who work nine to five might feel that they are they are they and they do use their skill sets but i guess for me i didn't maybe know how or i didn't feel like it was possible so um yeah the decision to switch over was kind of brewing for a while yes excellent how did you zone in on your niche so and i really want you to help me define your niche here um on your website me quickly quote um, some of the verbiage you say most of us avoid having uncomfortable conversations 
Curios equips leaders with the tools to have conversations that matter, no matter how high the stakes. This is done through live experiences, consultancy, and workshops that invite the convert to interact mindfully and strengthen the communicative muscles to have brave, curious, curiosity-driven, and intentional interactions. And so I, I want to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> heavy. <laughs> First, look at um, how you define uncomfortable conversations and if you have to help clients define those themselves or if you... Um, if they come to you or if people at these workshops come to you with this like preset group of uncomfortable conversations. So let's start with how you define it. Yeah. So, I mean, I define an uncomfortable conversation. Um, there's a couple of things that go into that. I think it's a conversation that, that you don't have often. So if there's a conversation that you avoid and typically the ones we avoid are things that aren't societally acceptable, things that might be taboo, uh, things, uh, and, and by things, I mean themes or topics, um, and, and really things that bring up maybe uncomfortable emotions. So whether that's anger, whether that's uh, shame, uh, grief, um, and for me, that's where a lot of the discomfort arises. Um, so, you know, for example, the workshops, because you talked about the workshops, you know, it's not, they don't come to me with um, a, a specific if I'm putting on a workshop for a community, for example, which I've done three times now, it's more about defining the theme and then pulling out a question from that theme. So this past one was about race. Two uh, sessions ago, we talked about sexuality, and then we have a question like, you know, what does it mean to have like, what does it mean to watch ethical pornography, and what has our sexual education taught us or not taught us? And again, these are things that we don't, um, I think normally talk about with one with strangers or with um and and don't really have conversation with ourselves about it in terms of what did i learn how am i carrying potentially some misinformation about sex and, and porn in my daily daily life um and this last one was about racism so that is more okay so racism is obviously still an issue in this country but how did we get here which might seem obvious but i think for some people who have an adverse reaction to that word and to that conversation they need a little bit of hand-holding. So my events, um, the community-based ones, are really based on bringing up a topic to the forefront that, again, might be uncomfortable and really unpacking that in a way that gives us some tools, some practice, some muscle memory that hopefully you can take that on in your day-to-day -day life and have a little bit of um, more understanding and also more um, the ability to pause and reflect as opposed to just react, uh, which is how a lot of us have conversations these days. Yeah, absolutely. And so within that, I'm kind of, and I'm trying to deduce, it sounds like you have community members. I'm, who is your prospective audience? Like yeah. a fixed audience or is it anyone in the community who would like to educate themselves or continue conversations on these topics? Yeah, I would say it's the latter. Um, I think that based on what I've gathered, it's definitely, um, And I probably need to do a little bit more of analysis with this, but to me, it's anyone who wants to dig a little bit deeper. And I think especially with COVID, for me, what's come up um, and what's been pretty standard is that everyone I come into in contact with, I think, is craving a little bit of deeper connection and not surface level uh, interaction, conversation, connection. Um, so yes, anyone, but I think that students, 
Um, people who are developing, again, their own beliefs and mindsets and systems are, uh, have been kind of the audience. So, you know, college age students, um, also new, new professionals have been um, the main entrepreneurs. Again, people who are looking to kind of shift and shape how they um, maybe create culture because our conversations are everything, right? I mean, they are how we connect with people. So they're obviously pervasive in that way. Um, and, and I believe that all of us definitely want to have more honest conversations. Absolutely. I hope so too. Transparent ones as well. I'm wondering, um, how do you curate? So these topics, I mean, your, you know, your niche is uncomfortable conversations, which is, Mm -hmm. but how do you curate what pieces of advice? Are you yourself the sole curator of the methodologies that you introduce as to how to dissect these conversations? Who do you draw from? Yeah, definitely not, because I don't believe I'm the expert on all things. I think that what I'm good at, which is what I'm trying to share with people, is my ability to sit in discomfort. (laughs) So I think that that's kind of um, my skill set. And obviously, you know, like leadership, communication, like, yes, I have a lot of education and background and and as a facilitator, but how I curate is I reach out. So um, again, pulling on the past experiences that I posted in this past one on race. You know, I have a lot of colleagues uh, that I work with at San Diego State. So I have one who was a professor, uh, is a professor, um, and, and, you know, one of his uh, research areas was slave narratives. And so pulling from people who have a lot more knowledge than me in terms of history and, you know, the, the ways in which storytelling are used throughout history to, ex- uh, to um, relate uh, an experience. I called on him. I also called on one of my friends as well who uh, started um, uh, another company to help people to process feelings. And that was through drawing and through um, really intentional, again, sitting. Our intentions are definitely related, but I lost my train of thought. Um, So she she works with um, helping helping people to process their emotions through drawing. And bringing those two together for me is how I curated the experience, which I wanted to focus on listening. Our virtual world and interactions are very weird for us, Um, very strange. It's just not something we're used to. We're getting used to it and we're getting better at it. But um, the ability to sit with feelings, listen and not listen to respond and really kind of ingest the information is I think crucial for us to be able to move through this in a way that doesn't just make us really connection illiterate when when we're out of this. So um, the experience that I curated was, okay, so let's bring in these two people that can speak on these things and add to my knowledge of communication and listening and, and processing all of this. Let's have a censoring theme and then let's have the participants sit in discomfort a little bit, you know, let's set up some temporary rules for this interaction where you're listening, that that's the the role that you have in this interaction to really be able, especially with racism, it's a deep, like something that brings up a lot of emotions in people. Um, And yeah, that's how I curated that conversation. And, you know, I think people really enjoyed it and enjoyed it in the way it's not always comfortable, but they enjoy it because it makes them shift the way they thought or think about a particular subject matter. 
Yeah, always. And I think that anyone who has done um, long forms of research about uh, all types of oppression realizes that it's a lifetime conversation, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's uh, took a long time to get where we're at and it needs to be constantly questioned. Um, and I'm to yeah. that end, I kind of want to talk with you about that. Um, I like the idea of sitting in discomfort and, um, and obviously having this listening based conversation. But also, I wonder, when you wrap things up, do you ever impart actionable items? You know, when we talk about systemic racism, systemic sexism, these types of things, I think that um, particularly on the collegiate level, uh, where you have professors coming in, there's a great deal of research, which is, is absolutely wonderful and, and needs to be done. But um, sometimes I think there's a, like a disconnect between an actionable item that we can, you know, give the audience once leaving to actually implement a daily difference. Do you ever focus on that or is it just more about the education and conversation within your work? So yes and no, you know, um, I think that for me, it's about the practice more so than the outcome. So the outcome is obviously important and I'm hopeful and obviously as I continue to put these events on, I'll be able to better gauge what people walk away with and what they actually implement. But for me, it's about the muscle, and I say muscle memory because there's, I, at least I can't think of a, a word of a word that would describe or words that would describe the experience. But I think that when we, just like trauma, for example, like trauma is something that we experience in our bodies and that stays with us. Obviously, there's a lot of research in terms of childhood trauma that you carry it with you. Um, I guess on the flip side of that, I'm attempting to bring into a conversation the, um, the practice to be able to sit with an uncomfortable feeling and release it. So it doesn't mean that we... Yeah. solve racism in a day it doesn't mean that you necessarily walk away with an action item although we might so like last time you know there was um there was a call to action in terms of supporting a black owned business which hopefully helps folks to continue doing that um and then the last one was you know i sent an email afterwards about some resources for kids if you want to start having conversations about sex early and not make it shame based um so yes there are you know resources that are shared but it's more about the hopefully the 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 recall of oh okay we talked about this at that you know and I if I could do that with strangers and I probably can do it with my within my family or with a friend or with my partner um, in a way that doesn't feel as threatening. Yeah, how do um, topics make it into consideration for an overall narrative that you're going to help explore and unpack? Yeah, so far just my brain. <laughs> so far just things that. Um, are comfortable for me, to be honest, because, you know, I've spoken to a couple of friends about this, and I never want to give the impression that I'm perfect at talking, like you mentioned, you know, I, ha I want to curate conversation and bring experts in to help me develop these conversations, but I don't have all the answers. Um, but I, I also have a list of things in my own life that have been difficult to talk about. Um, and, you know, I think we all kind of have a, a, a sense for hey, that conversation there is not something you talk about in public. And usually those are ones I'm like, okay, well, then we need to have a conversation about it. Um, so mental health is on my list. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of topics that I think we could play around with. Absolutely. I agree. I'm looking, uh, I'm wondering when you look forward to goals uh, as far as um, it, over the next one to three years, you know, your venue 
it's one that I could see easily transition transitioning to being online. You know, these com- conversations and things like that can take place um, in a live format online and things like that. I don't know how that uh, for you the there seems to be almost like an austere or like a a, a vibe. You know that one mm-hmm. it is <laughs> with people that obviously will alter and change. But um, what are your goals for the next one to three years with Kuros and um, where you're headed with that? So my goals are to set up a consistent client base. So I do have a couple clients now, which is exciting for the consultancy arm of the brand. Um, and that's going into small you know, teams, small organizations to help them have some difficult conversations. So yes, about DEI or, or um, uh, leadership or communication, I'm, I'm skilled in that. And that's something obviously those are the specific uh, areas that I focus on in consultancy. Uh, but obviously get a roster of curios consultants is what I've been calling them. So the folks that I bring into the community-based events um, that I can call to to be able to uh, curate a conversation around a particular topic um, and hopefully building that out so that that other people who are looking to host these spaces can call to those uh, consultants to be able to support them. Um, I mean, I have big dreams for curios and I guess in the I should focus on the one to three years, like you mentioned. So funding is obviously a goal of mine um, and being able to have a small team. So whether that's, you know, a couple more people to help me with the marketing, which is not my strong suit, uh, but I'm working at it. Uh, Marketing and, um, you know, just kind of developing, really setting a really strong foundation for what this is. So I'm currently, I'm working with an illustrator, for example, to illustrate the framework and the methodology that that goes into it because I'm a lot more creative in nature. So for me, it's natural, but that's, you know, you you can sell that to some people, but definitely not to everyone. So trying to make sure that that's um, concrete and clear for folks. Um, And those are my short-term goals, really the funding, uh, getting clarity on on the method and what I employ when I'm creating these experiences uh, for the community. And, you know, hopefully long-term it's conferences and different things that kind of allow for um, and and create the brave spaces that I want to see in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Will you ever partner? Have you ever considered collaboration or partnership? I mean, you came from Tony Robbins, you know, um, he does a lot of like communicative work and things like that. Would you ever partner with a big house like that? Or do you think you'll stay kind of independent? Uh, I think for now, independence is important to me because I do I think, and again, like for me, especially given my, my, the importance of the three themes for me, curiosity, bravery, and bravery, intentionality need to permeate everything that I do. So obviously now it's easier because it's just me, but when I bring people on, like those, these are some of the things they're going to be trained on, like being, and, you know, I pull a lot of Brene Brown and I pull a lot of um, you know, vulnerability into this when I, I, I do it, but also when I, uh, want to expand, we need to be able to say when we're wrong. We need to be able to have a productive conversation about disagreement, and that goes for anyone I work with. So unfortunately, with bigger houses, my experience is that it's harder to change the culture. Uh, it's harder to shift the you know, uh, perspective, especially when things have been working, which is fine. Everyone has to kind of set that for themselves. But for me, I want it to be something that comes from um, that is congruous with who I am as a person and also what I want Curios to be as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this 
perfect items. And at least you have clarity on, you know, what you think wouldn't work between a possible union. I think that's more than most people have when considering anything. They're just thinking about <laughs> staying alive. Which yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, Michelle, we're at the end of the, our conversation. And I always, this is um, kind of a famous question for mine that longstanding <laughs> um, fans of the podcast love. And um, so I would never take it out. But I'm wondering if you were in uh, like a public park tomorrow to safe social distance and a young woman or a female identified or non-binary individual ran up to you and said, listen, uh, we have a friend in common. They asked me to come talk to you. I've had this great career that I kind of meandered through and out of um, higher academia with communications. I've been attached to a lot of research-based projects I've traveled, <laughs> and I'm going to launch my own thing now. And it's based on this really cool niche of having these uncomfortable conversations. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now? Hmm. Okay, so I think that the first one, the first piece of advice is to get clear on what you're after. Um, because I think, as you alluded to, I think that often entrepreneurs, solopreneurs especially, maybe just are grasping for straws in terms of wanting to make it big or, you know, there's a lot of maybe different uh, goals, but make it sustainable. And while that's very important to me, I obviously want to do this as my life's work. I want it to, I don't mind taking my time. Um, so whether that, whether this becomes a side hustle again at some point, because I'm no longer financially able to do it, uh, you know, without, um, or no longer financially able to do it full time, I think getting clear on what your goals are for your company is important. I think that secondly, I would say to find the space to remember to really take care of yourself as you're growing it. Because again, to me, something that I'm learning and also something that I've learned from being in other places that it's really easy for us to lose ourselves in the process of building something outside of ourselves. So finding a practice for me that, whether that's yoga, whether that's meditation, whether that's something to really center myself, to remember, remind myself of that first one, why am I doing it is important. Um, and I guess the third thing is, you know, to stop doing it if it's no longer fun. Um, I think that, again, if, if you start to lose your way or if it starts to feel like, you know, it's no longer who you are, that's okay. I mean, like life, they say life is short, but I do think that it's long in the sense that, I mean, I've had, I'd, I'd say three pivots at this point and I'm, you know, 32. So I think that there is definitely space to be able to re, to, to as you shift, to be able to shift into something else if that no longer fits. Absolutely. All right. I've got get get clear on what your goals are and make them sustainable. Uh, number two, find the space to look after yourself so you can accomplish number one. And number three, stop if is it if it isn't fun anymore. Life is long enough to handle several pivots. Yeah. Awesome. Those are Perfect points. I love that. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate um, you sharing your opinion and your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, we've been speaking with Michelle Antoine. You can find out more on her website, www.curiosebynature.com, C-U-R-I-O-S-B-Y-N-A-T-U-R-E.com. Thank you for giving us your time today. Until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sunshine.